BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey guys, ready or not, 2024 is here and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. We have an amazing show for everybody today. What do we have, Crystal? Indeed we do. Lots going on this week. Ron DeSantis officially out of the presidential campaign. Can't say that uh, we didn't call it, but anyway. Certainly called it. Lots to get into there. We also have some intrigue on the Democratic side. Dean Phillips, at least according to one poll, may be surging in New Hampshire. Biden's having to wage this weird write-in campaign, but Mm -hmm. also pretend like he's not campaigning. So we'll tell you about those dynamics as well. Um, And then, of course, there are a lot of updates with regard to Israel and the broader war that now is in full effect. We've got news that the Biden administration is planning for a sustained military campaign against the Houthis although don't call it a war, even though what is exactly war, war, if it's not just continuing to bomb and uh, exchange hostilities with another actor. Anyway, we'll get into that. And Bibi Netanyahu continues to humiliate the Biden administration, once again proclaiming, I don't know why this is a mystery to anyone, that he is absolutely opposed to the establishment of a Palestinian state. This comes on the heels of Biden insisting that he thinks somehow he's going to be able to persuade Bibi that they should actually have a two-state solution. We'll tell you about that. I'm taking a look at uh, Malay's speech at the World Economic Forum. Sagar is taking a look at some mysteries surrounding that pipe bomb Mm -hmm. outside of the DNC headquarters back on January 6th. So a lot of intrigue this morning. Yeah, that's right. Also, don't forget, Shelby Talcott should be joining us from Semaphore. Uh, So that'll be fun. we got a guest in the show. we got two monologues. Lots of things are going on here. Uh, Jam-packed. We also have a a discount currently going on for our election season. We can put it up there on the screen, guys. You can go ahead and take advantage of it. It's for our yearly subscription. You can help us out in the election season to help build. We've got our RFK Junior focus group, which has been rescheduled after the uh, snow that blanketed the Midwest, also blanketed us here in Washington. And Crystal, you are doing a live stream tonight with a couple of friends that we should flag for everyone. Yeah, that's right. So myself, Katie Halper, Brianna Joy Gray, we are all teaming up to do a live stream with Muin Rabani and Norman Finkelstein to really break down the ICJ case from South Africa. 
Africa against Israel. Uh, what is the likelihood of its success? What might happen from here? So really excited to talk to all of them uh, and break all of that down for you people. So check out that live stream at 8 p.m. tonight. We'll go for a few hours and uh, get into all of those things. Good luck to you for staying up well past my bedtime. <laughs> I told them yeah. 10 o'clock is yeah. the hard deadline. 10 o'clock? <laughs> I can't stay up Two hours at 10 o'clock. That's crazy. <laughs> all right, let's get to the election. As we mentioned, uh, I did a breaking news last night. Governor DeSantis did officially drop out of the presidential race. His main, I guess, contender uh, against him who was not named Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, immediately reacted to that on the ground in New Hampshire. Here's what she had to say. We just heard that Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. And I want to say to Ron, he ran a great race. He's been a good governor, and we wish him well. Having said that, it's now one fella and one lady left. Will I be using the name Ron De Sanctimonious? I said that name is officially retired. <laughs> so Trump says officially retired. Personally, never thought it was his best work. I think Meatball Ron was uh, far better. But those are the two immediate. Uh, now we've got basically a two-person race in the state of New Hampshire. Trump kind of making this evident. He's been attacking Nikki Haley now for several days, which has led to a bizarre incident where he seemed to imply that Nikki Haley was actually in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th. Let's take a listen. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. You know, they did you know they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. So we think, Crystal, he was referring to Nancy Pelosi, but Haley now picking up on this and implying that Trump has lost some of his marbles. Let's take a listen to that. We need a president for eight years, even if you have a president for four years. The man was going on a rant about how I was keeping Capitol Police from going in on January 6th. He went on and on, mentioned my name multiple times about the fact that I stopped people from being secure on January 6th. I wasn't in D.C. on January 6th. I had nothing to do with the Capitol. It's things like that. He said multiple times that he ran against President Obama. He didn't run against President Obama. These things happen because guess what? When you're 80, that's what happens. You're just not as sharp as you used to be. This is not personal. Y'all know I voted for him twice. I was proud to serve in his administration. This is the fact that we have a country in disarray and a world on fire, and we need to know that we are not giving our kids options of two 80-year-olds going into a presidency. A little bit more of a general election argument there, Crystal, because I don't think a lot of Republicans feel that he has lost his marbles. But uh, yeah, your overall reaction, DeSantis is out of the race. We yeah. certainly did call it, and I guess it's Nikki versus Trump. Good luck to her, I guess, yeah. as Trump would say. I mean, okay, so there's a few things. There's, first of all, the short-term impact. What mm -hmm. will it mean in New Hampshire? Where will We'll get into in a moment. I mean, some polls have shown her in single digits. It seems like the most recent polls have 
have Trump expanding his lead back into double digits. To be honest with you, I don't know that it has that much impact at all in yes, New Hampshire because Ron right. DeSantis really wasn't pulling that well in New Hampshire is getting like 6% of the vote. So where will that 6% go? Will that be the difference maker? I sort of doubt it. My expectation, we'll do our official predictions probably tomorrow, is mm -hmm. that Trump will win New Hampshire and be able to continue that momentum easily into the Republican nomination. So does Ron DeSantis really dropping out make a huge difference for Nikki Haley? I seriously doubt it. Although I have seen some people who are assuming that all of his support will basically go to Trump, and I don't buy that. No. I think it's yeah. more split. Yeah, I it's think probably it's split. Probably yeah. maybe 60-40, maybe That's even 50-50. Right. I don't know. But I don't think it's a huge difference maker because Trump has such a large lead. On other dynamics, um, you know, there's a reason why from the beginning, even before all of the indictments, even before all of this happened, you and I were both very skeptical that Ron DeSantis, even at his best, even after Florida did phenomenal in the midterms and Trump was kind of down and out because all his candidates had, um, you know, underperformed and the Republicans had underperformed. Even at that moment, we were very skeptical because Republicans still really liked Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. They still really liked him. And he basically was an incumbent coming into this. Um, the way that they looked at him. You had to give them a big reason to move away from Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis proved himself really unable to come up with an argument. I don't think it was going to be an easy thing to do. I don't even know if it was a possible thing to do that would move people off of Donald Trump and towards him. And in addition, perhaps his strongest argument to make was electability. Look at the school scoreboard. Not only did you have the example of him on the campaign trail being incredibly awkward, and also, by the way, running a really poor campaign, I mean, the Twitter spaces debacle and people can go through the list, et cetera. But I don't think it gave people a lot of confidence like, oh, yeah, this is the guy that can definitely win. And meanwhile, Joe Biden is so pathetic that you're like, of course, Trump can beat him. I mean, anyone who looks at the, the scoreboard, so to speak, and doesn't think that Trump has a chance to defeat Joe Biden, they're just living in an alternate universe. So, you know, once that was off the table, the potential electability argument, there just wasn't a lot there to work with. So, listen, I know a lot of people are being really hard on the Ron DeSantis campaign. There's plenty of material there to work with. But to be honest with you, Trump ran a really terrible, embarrassing campaign in 2016, and he won. The bottom line is Ron DeSantis is not, was never going to be president this time. He's never going to be president, period. He's just not the guy. And especially when you have a Republican Party, and especially when you have a person in Donald Trump who still really defines the center of gravity in both parties and focuses the debate, everything turns around this man in both parties. So without some gigantic situation that was going to move people off of him, which we have never seen unfold in the Republican Party since he jumped on the scene, I think that this campaign, regardless of how perfectly it was run, was basically doomed from day one. Yeah, I mean, and look, Trump just has the it factor. You know, Ron DeSantis, whether Trump is in or is out, he's not going to be inspiring the same level of just reverence that people have. I mean, take a look at this. Let's put this up there on the screen. This is the line for people to get into the Trump rally in New Hampshire, where the feels like is minus one degree Fahrenheit. It is literally almost zero, minus 30 under freeze. In the, in the state of New Hampshire, in Manchester, people were lining up for hours to get in there. Hundreds, thousands. You know, I mean, that's just something that you've never seen anything like that in modern politics. And look, the only place you have seen it, Crystal, like you said, is amongst Democrats who hate Trump. And right. when they're willing to line up, they're not, they ain't lining up for Joe Biden. They're lining up to vote against Donald Trump, to chant, you know, wearing the 
you know, the pink hat, I almost said something else there, mm-hmm. uh, the Women's March and all those other things. Nothing wrong with that. It just shows you that it's the inverse, right, of the inspiration that he inspires among some voters is exactly the same thing that he applies for others. The thing is, as you said, too, in the state of New Hampshire, just to back up your point, put this up there on the screen just to give people an example of where the current polling is. Trump is currently at 55%. This is in the latest USA Today Suffolk poll. You've got 36% for Nikki Haley. I mean, it's not bad, but it's definitely still 20-some points behind. DeSantis was polling at six. That's part of the reason that he dropped out. It would have just been this, like, humiliating twist in the wind for more than a month until the South Carolina primary and eventually going into Super Tuesday. You know, you don't want to finish before, you know, three or four points. You want to be able to go out, quote-unquote, on top after you came in. Second, possibly curry some favor with Trump. As you said, I don't think all of that's going to go to Trump, although the majority of them, their second choice voter is going to be Donald Trump. They may just not show up to vote. And then, the, you know, I guess 3% or so would go over to Nikki Haley. Now, listen, it's certainly possible. New Hampshire is a tough state to poll. It's weird. Trump definitely overperformed expectations last time, yeah. but things have defied some expectations. This time around, obviously, Iowa was like, you know, a little bit squirrely in terms of where things were going for the exact percentages, even though the Iowa Seltzer poll, but there's no real equivalent here in the state. Plus, you've got the open factor for a bunch of people who may registered as Republicans to go there. And that's the only reason why she might overperform expectations. But we'll see. That's the real question. It's possible. It's possible she wins New Hampshire. I don't think she will, but it's possible. I think it is theoretically in the realm of possibility that she wins New Hampshire. If she does, she will still lose every state, including Mm -hmm. her home state, which is next of South Carolina, which is, I mean, listen, on the one hand, this couldn't have lined up better for Nikki Haley, right? You have New Hampshire early in the lineup, the very first primary state. That's a great state for her. It's probably the best state in the country for her in terms of potential performance. That's fantastic. Then you go into your home state of South Carolina. What could be a better lineup? She couldn't have planned it better. On the other hand, if you go into your home state of South Carolina and you lose, that's game over, Mm -hmm. right? That's game over. Now, I really am kind of 50-50. I I suspect she probably drops out after that, but I'm not 100% sure she may stay in there, even though it's completely humiliating and embarrassing to then get like 10 percentage points in every state after that. Just as an option, in case something does happen with Trump that takes him off the field before the Republican nomination, she's the last one there standing. That's theoretically possible, but I think because, especially of the timeline of his legal trouble, that is not all going to unfold until maybe before the general election and maybe not even before then. But I don't think any of that is going to ripen before the uh, Republican nomination is settled. So it's probably more likely that after she loses South Carolina, that's the end of the road for her. I saw someone say that, I think it's Harry Enton who works um, for CNN. He previously worked for 538. He's one of the better polling analysts. He was like, look guys, here's the truth. We're shaping up for the longest general election in modern American history. And I think he's right. I mean, basically we haven't seen something like this I mean, technically, look, FDR, I guess, certainly had some challengers or whatever back in the day. Probably that's the last time that we ever had such a presumptive nominee here and such a presumptive nominee on the other side, even though, you know, technically the general election was only a couple of weeks. This is, you know, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time where you know exactly who both parties are going to be. Technically with an open primary, at least that's what it was supposed to be. Just to give everybody again a preview of the state of the real 
clear politics polling average. Let's put this up there. So Trump has got plus 15 on average over all of his opponents, roughly in line with what we just saw, 52% <coughs> average that he's polling at. Nikki Haley at 37.5. DeSantis's average was roughly seven. So we'll see if you equally split that down the middle, you could see it puts Trump right at 55 yeah. or so, possibly Haley at 40. Now, there is one outlier poll that's not listed here from American Research Group. It's not rated highly by 538 mm-hmm. for what it's worth. It's like a C plus polling outfit. And um, they have the race basically as a statistical tie, I think, with Nikki Haley down two points, but that's within the margin of error. That's an outlier, but I do want to acknowledge that it exists, that that polling is out there. They use a somewhat different methodology. Maybe they're picking up something that other people aren't, or maybe they're wildly off base. Mm -hmm. Um, Very hard to say. You know, we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. They also have, and we'll cover this too, an outlier poll on the Democratic side. The Democratic race, very difficult to poll in the state of New Hampshire. Because you have Joe Biden not on the ballot, people have to write in his name, and that just makes it for, you know, very difficult to predict how that is all going to go down and, you know, what percentage point he will get in the state as well. But just wanted to acknowledge that that exists. One other thing, Sagar, that I wanted to mention, because we played the clip of Nikki Haley picking up on Trump's, like, confusing her with Nancy Pelosi. And I saw that, too, like, said he ran against Obama a couple times when he didn't. I mean, first of all, I do think it's reasonable to say the man is 80 years old, so these slip-ups are going to happen more and more. Like, that's just the nature of aging. It is what it is. I will also say, though, as someone who talks for a living and talks mm-hmm. all the time, like, I also make these stupid miscues sometimes, so uh, I don't put too much stock in it. But I will say, politically, not only Nikki Haley, uh, but also Joe Biden is picking up on this. Yeah, and to your point true. about uh, the general election has already started, like, everybody's moved past these primaries, basically, and assumes it's going to be Trump and Biden, because it is going to be Trump and Biden. Um, Biden picked up on this and was also making fun of it and using Nikki Haley's comments to make fun of it as well. And uh, do I think this is going to, you know, persuade people that Biden is more on the ball than Trump is? No. But it is a classic tactic just to try to muddy the waters. Like, if Biden's biggest liability is that he is old and not altogether with it and can't formulate a sentence and all of these things, if you can just muddy the waters a little bit and get people thinking like, yeah, Trump's not 100% either, he also is on that aging decline as well, that could be a useful strategy for Joe Biden. I don't think it's a stupid idea. I don't think it's a bad idea either, as you said. I mean, what your best, so when you've got a negative, what you want to make sure is that it's not just a negative against you. If you can try to make it so they're like, well, Trump has something too, and you've got a general election voter who's like, well, I'm mad about his aid, I'm mad about his as well, then maybe I'll vote for my second tertiary or whatever type thing. It's kind of like the original documents case where you know, classified documents for Trump, mm-hmm. and then you came out on Biden. It's like, in the moment that that happened, it was like, I'm politically, not legally, it's a wash. So that's what you would, you know, really desire is that the other side does it too. Will it work? I'm not so sure. There's a lot of polling to suggest that Americans are a lot more upset about President Biden's age, or at least much more concerned than President Trump. As you said too, you know, a slip up every once in a while is actually, and again, this is not to be construed as, you know, uh, speaking up for the man. It's just every once in a while when you're on camera all the time, as we have all learned here, you're going to say something, uh, you know, you're going to miss. Swap your words. Exactly. Yeah. But In the pattern that we've seen with Biden now for years and years, the degradation and the amount of time that he's on camera and where it's the majority of the time and not the minimal amount of time as opposed to Trump, where I would say that's flipped, that's probably why it's a bigger problem. But if Biden can try to elevate this, we'll see. Obviously, it's going to be a pretty big dynamic, I think, in the general election, like ageism against the two of them them while they're running. Yeah. I I also have seen there have been all these like 
resistance liberal conspiracies about mm. Trump's health. Oh, the lesions you know, the, on his hand. The you mean the golf sores that from when it golfs all the time? Oh, is that what it? Yeah, exactly. It no, makes total not. sense. I yeah. okay. I have golfed enough now to uh -huh. know you wear a glove and you don't get. Or maybe. I, don't I mean, I just yeah. even as a brand new golfer, I uh -huh. wasn't getting that kind of thing on my hands. Anyway, I'm not buying the golf okay. story, but I'm maybe not. I'm I don't know. I, James Carville's out there like it's the clap for sure, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, anyway, so there's that. There's like a video of him where people are like, "Oh, he's dragging that right leg again." So oh, the resistance crowd yeah. is really trying to drum up a lot of concerns okay. about Trump and his health and his mental fitness and whatever. I will. I don't know about the health thing, but um, on the mental fitness, I have seen enough clips now of him mixing up words and whatever to say, yeah, this is different than the sharpness that used to be there. I do think, I, I mean, again, he's going to be 80 years old. Mm -hmm. Like that does, this does happen. Um, he is, in fact, even though it doesn't all often seem like it, he is, in fact, a human being. So uh, I don't think that's like totally to be dismissed. And like I said, is this going to persuade voters that Biden is actually the one who's fit, you know, the right. most fit and ready to be president, given his manifestly low energy levels and, like, unwillingness to do rallies or talk to the press or really capably do much of anything? Mm -hmm. No. But can he make it a little less clear-cut, make it a little bit so that's less of a factor going against him? Yeah, I think he could probably pull that off. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's possible. Uh, we will see. It also depends on terms of the fitness of the two of them. Anyway, uh, let's turn. We've got a great guest standing by, Shelby Talcott. She's going to join us to talk about the demise of the DeSantis campaign. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. 
My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Joining us now is political reporter for Semaphore, and she is joining us live from the state of New Hampshire. So you wrote an interesting new piece. Let's put it up there on the screen. 13 reasons why Ron DeSantis did not become the Republican nominee. Uh, 13, I'm not exactly sure that we needed all of them. No offense, just joking. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you described. Were you surprised yesterday when DeSantis dropped out? I'm sure you guys were hearing things almost imminently about what was coming forward. But being on the ground there in the state, did it make sense for him to do so? Yeah, it absolutely made sense. I mean, he had actually left the state of New Hampshire to go campaign in South Carolina, partially because there really was no path for him here in New Hampshire. Um, And he was sort of hoping that there would be a path for him in South Carolina and that he could have at least a few days head start. The problem is I heard that um, a few days ago he got some bad South Carolina internals that Mm. played a role in him ultimately Mm. deciding to drop out. Um, He had been planning on coming back here to New Hampshire, but really it felt like after Iowa, his campaign was sort of um, lost. They didn't really have a clear path forward because there really was no clear path forward. Um, And as I wrote, there are multiple reasons why his campaign uh, sort of failed to launch. Um, It started before he even got into the race. He took heavy fire from Donald Trump and he didn't reply to it. He had that so disastrous launch on X. Um, <laughs> once he launched, he was he had sort of a bloated campaign that he was forced to downsize pretty quickly. Um, and instead of downsizing in just one news cycle, he did it in several news cycles, which of course nobody wants three or four negative news cycles. Um, it, it the list goes on. Um, some of it his fault, some of it not his fault. Example yeah. being Deadman's. But ultimately, it was just wasn't meant to be. Um, so out here on the ground, nobody was really shocked that he decided to drop out before Tuesday happened. Makes sense. What is the cope coming from the DeSantis camp about why this didn't come together for him? Yeah, I mean, I think they maintain when I talk to people from Team DeSantis that he was the best option for America, that he should have been president, but that voters simply were not ready to move on from Donald Trump. And that's sort of where they're at. They're also really glad that he did end up dropping out for New Hampshire because I was talking to people over the past few weeks, even before Iowa, who really wanted him to be president and still supported him um, and had this sort of, I'm going to go down with the ship mentality, but also were concerned because they wanted him to drop out to save himself for 28. Um, And so there's sort of relief within DeSantis world at this point because they believe that he has successfully saved himself and can run again when Americans are ready and when you know the country has perhaps moved past a Donald Trump presidency. Well, we'll see. Uh, so Shelby, you are on the ground in New Hampshire. So can you just tell us a little bit about like what the dynamics are with Nikki Haley? Certainly we see that she has come up in the polls, but we also see Trump you know, really consolidating 50 odd some percent and possibly even higher. So in the days now, so day, I guess, since DeSantis dropped out, what was the reaction like? Do people expect all those voters to go to Trump or what, what's the general consensus? 
DeSantis didn't have that much voter support to begin with here in New Hampshire, but the anticipation is that much, if not all, of those are going to go to Donald Trump. And in New Hampshire, at, you know, every percentage point is going to count. I will say Donald Trump's team is feeling very confident and very happy right now, especially with DeSantis dropping out, less so because of the percentage points that it gives him, and more so because of the sort of overarching um, theme and mentality that it brings. Donald Trump has brought a slew of South Carolina lawmakers here um, to, to endorse him and to, to sort of knock down Nikki Haley in that sense. And it's less about getting votes and more about just that idea that he is so strong that Nikki Haley has no chance um, and sort of trying to sow doubt in voters' minds here in New Hampshire before they actually come out and mm -hmm. vote. Now I would say Nikki Haley argues that she's feeling very confident. She has that sort of undecided voter base locked up. At the same time, her team has sort of been tempering expectations from a win here in New Hampshire to a strong second place finish, mm -hmm. which of course, you know, always sort of indicates something to me. So we will see. Yeah. What do you think her end game is here, Shelby? Because she's not going to be the Republican nominee. I mean, even if she wins in New Hampshire, She's way behind in her home state of South Carolina, which is next. And that's her next best performance in the country. There's no other state where she's even anywhere close. Um, it does not appear that there's some, like, group waiting in the Republican primary to have the permission to vote for Nikki Haley. Republicans like Donald Trump. And, you know, that's, like, very clear at this point. So what do you think her play is? Does she want to remain relevant, relevant in Republican politics? Does she want a media gig? Does she want to be Trump's VP? What do you think her end game thinking is at this point? I mean, that's the ultimate question, right? Because I do agree with you. I think a few months ago, there was sort of some sliver of hope that if she did really well in Iowa, had a second place finish, she did not, um, did really well here and won, that there would be sort of the sect of people in South Carolina who had just been waiting for permission to vote for her. That doesn't seem to be reality. Um, and so that's one of Trump team's arguments is she really has no path forward. Um, when I've talked to them about the uh, vice presidential pick, she told a pair of voters this week in New Hampshire that she was out on VP. That is not something she wants. Of course, every candidate says that, I think, yeah. until the opportunity arises. At the same time, I've talked to Trump folks who say, well, listen, we've been so aggressive at Nikki Haley. It's going to be hard to put that sort of thing back yeah. in the box. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where she goes from here. She has sort of distanced herself from that MAGA movement. And in a way, there's not really a place for her in this kind of Republican Party, quite frankly. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, we originally were going to talk to you about some veep stakes and what things were looking like inside the Trump team and what their thoughts are. So can you just give us a general sense? I've seen Elise Stefanik's name floated. I know online it's popular to say uh, it's going to be Vivek. I personally don't see that happening, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? I also don't see it happening partially because he's so green. Right. Um, and Trump's team has always been talking about they want someone who knows what they're doing. That's part of the reason I also don't think it's going to be Carrie Lake because you want someone who is a quote unquote winner. Mm -hmm. um, he's looking for loyalty first, of course, especially after this Mike Pence thing where he felt like Mike Pence was disloyal. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the number one thing. But he also wants someone who's not going to necessarily outshine him in the media. Uh, and all of these names that are floating around, Elise Stefanik, um, 
J.D. Vance, uh, Sarah Sanders, they're all in the mix. But I think it's really important to note that every time one of these media stories pops up right now, like it is accurate. Donald Trump is asking around about these people, but at the same time, that's what he does. Um, Anytime somebody does something he likes, it piques his interests. He pulls people, he pulls people at Mar-a-Lago at dinner, he pulls his aides. Um, And so I I would caution to read too much into these sorts of media stories. Uh, It's clear that he has some sort of general list, but that list has not been finalized. Um, And this is what he does. He likes the media uh, questioning who he's going to be. It keeps him in the news cycle. He doesn't have to do anything. Um, And he also likes sort of sitting back and watching these these VP hopefuls sort of fight for it. Um, And I think that's the next stage that we're starting to see here in New Hampshire. Yeah. And lastly, Shelby, you know, you mentioned before that some of Ron DeSantis' biggest supporters were glad he pulled out now to preserve his chances for 2028. I mean, what do you think about his chances for the future in the Republican Party? How does the Republican base feel about him? How does the donor set feel about him? Because they sort of, you know, abandoned him for Nikki Haley in the middle of this race. I think most people, you know, would agree with your assessment that the campaign was very poorly run. He was an awkward campaigner out on the stump. And so the more people saw of him, the less they were interested in casting their vote for him. So what do you think that Ron DeSantis's future looks like within the Republican Party? I think one of the big things, quite frankly, is that he has sort of gotten back into Trump's good graces by endorsing him. That was certainly a strategic move. Partially, he just had no interest in helping Nikki Haley. It was very clear there's no love lost between those two. Mm. But also, I think, you know, if Donald Trump goes through, say he wins office in 2024, he's now back on Donald Trump's good side. And that alone can sort of help him go get those MAGA-type voters that he failed to get this time around. At the same time, you think 2028, there's going to be a whole number of new top yeah. Republicans that opted not to get in this cycle who are going to be really tough to beat, you know, Glenn Youngkin types. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see if he can, in the next several years, sort of refine that awkward persona and learn from his mistakes enough to remain, you know, the top 28 contender, as so many people believe he still could be. Well, we'll see what happens, as Trump often likes to say. Who knows? He may himself uh, decide to endorse or run again. You never know. You never know. I'm going to guess Ron doesn't launch next time on Twitter Spaces. Yes. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He's going to launch on the Apple Vision Pro, on the Apple Vision Pro 2.0. You (laughs) can tell I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, Shelby, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Okay, turning now to the Democrats in the state of New Hampshire, possibly the only real primary that we're going to get this time around. Polls are uh, looking interesting. So it's a very difficult state to poll, especially because you've got uh, Biden running this strange write-in campaign. But uh, things are not looking terrible for Dean Phillips. Go ahead and put this up there on the screen. This is a brand new poll. This is from ARG, the American Research Group, rated as C plus from 538. But they actually show Joe Biden at 54% for a write-in. Dean Phillips at 32%. 7% say they are undecided, 4% other, 3% for Marianne Williamson. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting that Phillips has seen uh, a surge, at least in recent times. And Phillips himself is truly like opening up all the stops in terms of the stop Biden argument in the same terms that I think Cenk Uger has talked about here on our show and others. He's like, look, there's just no way that this man can beat Trump. I just don't see it at all. He believes apparently so much. He's even willing to float a no labels bid. Let's put this up there. Pretty interesting. Basically saying that if Biden is going to rig the primary against him, that on Saturday, he said he would even consider running on the ticket of no labels, which is that centrist group who we've interviewed here in the past, exploring an independent bid against Biden and against Trump. This was in a New York Times interview. He said for the first time that he was considering it, that he was in regular communication with the group's chief executive, and that, quote, Democratic allies of President Biden have been alarmed by no labels, worrying that any candidate it runs could siphon off votes for him. Phillips said this specifically. People are criticizing them because they believe whomever will offer on their ticket will hurt Biden. That's false. If they put someone at the top of the ticket who could actually drive votes away from Donald Trump, every Democrat in the USA should be celebrating it. They have not made that determination. So he's running, you know, very much on the rigged primary, saying that yeah. he's, he's somebody who he thinks that Biden certainly just can't win against Trump at all. I actually don't think that's necessarily true, which is, it's funny. The electability argument has been made by Dems against Biden and by DeSantis and Haley against Trump. And yet every poll shows that the two of them are probably the strongest that they've been able to put up from their own parties right now, which is pretty difficult for them. Uh, you mean that they, you think they're the strongest candidates to well, win in the general election? I disagree with well, that. Well, no, within their own parties against each other. Oh. I mean, for, so for example, the idea that Trump cannot win against Biden is ludicrous because right. we've seen poll after poll that shows that he possibly can. Yeah. Biden as well. I mean, Biden certainly polls pretty well against Trump. We've seen the recent Quinnipiac poll. Yeah. I'm not saying they're the best by, by yeah. far, but say within the realm of like what's available right now, the two of them have certain strengths that some of these others don't have. I mean, I, I do think, so like generic Democrat. Oh, that's different. Dean yeah, Phillips yeah, is like the living embodiment of mm -hmm. generic Democrat, um, does better than Joe Biden, uh, generic Republican, and Nikki Haley in most polls does better than Donald Trump does uh, against Joe Biden. So 
I think if the Republicans nominated either Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, which mm. obviously DeSantis is not an option now, and Nikki Haley's barely an option at this point, I think they would easily beat Joe Biden. I don't think he would even stand a chance. I think probably the only candidate that he has a chance against is Donald Trump. Right. And Trump, I mean, likewise, probably the only candidate he really stands a chance against is Joe Biden because mm -hmm. of his weakness. But uh, one thing I would say is, you know, the Democratic Party base is very unsure about Joe Biden going up against Donald Trump again. They feel very unsure that he can win once again. They feel very unsure about his capability of serving another full term in office. But they have not really, the, the media has made sure that they are not aware that there are even other options. And let's be fair too. I mean, Dean Phillips came into this race quite late. Very late. Yeah. He has been a little bit all over the map. I want to be charitable towards him because, you know, I appreciate him for a variety of reasons getting in this race. I think it did take some courage. You know, he was nice enough to come here and engage with us in a back and forth. So I want to be charitable towards him. But I don't really understand this man. Mm. <laughs> he's kind of all over the map. I mean, he's he's a problem solvers caucus dude who voted 100% with Joe Biden. He framed himself as this very, like, centrist dem as a member of Congress. Then he gets into the primary and sees that a lot of the dissident energy is on the left. And then he's like, well, actually, I support Medicare for all. And I support some of these other like Bernie Sanders style priorities or things that actually Marianne Williamson has been running on since the beginning of the primary. So it's like, OK, well, that's I appreciate if you his explanation to me was that he got out there and talked to people and saw the need and got out of the D.C. bubble and became aware but now you're like taking money from billionaire Bill Ackman, uh -huh. changing your website to reflect his priorities, floating a no labels bid. I just don't know. I just don't really understand the end game with Dean Phillips. Um, the poll we put up on the screen, this uh, American Research Group poll, they're the same ones that had the outlier in New Hampshire for the Republican side. This is also an outlier on the Democratic side. The other polls of New Hampshire do not show Dean Phillips anywhere near 30-something percent of the vote. Um, so I am skeptical that he has this level of support in the state. But we'll see. I mean, like I said, <clears throat> the dynamics here, New Hampshire is already hard to poll. Uh, because you have independents can vote in party primaries, so there's a lot of crossover, so that makes it a bit of a wild card, who's going to show up for which primary and how they're going to vote. So there's that piece. Then, to really complicate things, you had Joe Biden in an attempt to thoroughly rig the primary, basically screw himself in the state of New Hampshire, but try to kick him to the back of the line. They couldn't move their primary because of their state constitution. So he's having to mount this write-in campaign, but also they don't want to be seen as even campaigning in the state so it's not even his campaign that's doing the write-in campaign. They've left it to a state party that is really pissed off at them, by the way, and not happy about what they've done in terms of moving the primary. There's been a minimal amount of dollars that have been spent towards this write-in campaign. And so I just have no idea how that is going to work out. I have no idea what percentage Joe Biden will get. I think he will probably outperform this ARG poll that we had up, but maybe underperform some of the other polls that have shown him, you know, at 65 percent and really trouncing the entire field. Just because who's going to even be motivated to come out for a Democratic primary when the media has been consistently telling, right. been telling you there is no Democratic primary, there is, are no opponents. So why would you bother to show up? How would you know that you have to write in Joe Biden's name? 
I just think it's a complicated set of dynamics that makes it very, very, very unpredictable how this is ultimately all going to unfold. The last thing I'll say about the Democratic primary is, you know, Marianne Williamson has been running as like the left challenger to Joe Biden. And, um, you know, she's come out uh, with regard to the uh, unconditional support for Israel. She's come out. She's voiced dissent. She's called for a ceasefire. But I think she had a real opportunity to um, lean into that issue to really make that a centerpiece. Because in terms of the energy and the opposition to Joe Biden, especially among young voters, especially among left-leaning voters um, throughout the Democratic coalition, this has really become a lightning rod and you know a real central focus of dissent and of upset against him to the point that many young voters who were with him last time around are saying there is absolutely no way I could so support this man. And in the sign of the fact that she failed to make this an issue that she was sort of identified with and, you know, synonymous with and seen as being a consistent advocate on, the fact that there's this right and ceasefire campaign Mm -hmm. going on where people are being encouraged to, instead of voting for any of the candidates on the ballot, to literally write in the word ceasefire just as a protest against Joe Biden. If she'd done a better job, I think, positioning herself as a dissident on this topic and really leaned into it, showed up to protest, talked consistently about it in a way that, you know, was landing with the people who were ups- upset about it, then I think that campaign would have been vote for Marianne Williamson as a protest against Joe Biden instead of vote for a ceasefire. Yeah, so we see some of that. We can put B5, guys, please, up on the screen. Let's put it up there from the Boston Globe. So we have New Hampshire primary voters here urged to write in ceasefire to send Biden a message, very much, you know, demonstrating exactly what you're talking about, Crystal, which is that if she had made her name synonymous with that, then this entire effort wouldn't really be necessary. There's also been some uh, sniping um, between Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson, an interesting uh, moment at one of their rallies for Dean in the state of New Hampshire, where Yang said that Marianne Williamson should drop out and to join him and Dean Phillips. He says, Dean is our best chance. Here's what he had to say. Uh, I ask you to join us in challenging the true enemy. The true enemy is the political establishment that does not care about our families and communities and a media cabal that will suppress or demonize anyone who wants to change things on behalf of the people of this country. Marianne Dean is our best chance to change things. I am looking forward to serving in his administration, and I hope that you will join us. Interesting moment. Uh, immediately, though, Mary Ann shot it down. Let's put it up there, please. She says uh, that that's not going to happen. Um, she tweeted out, quote, Wow, Andrew Yang, the days of a woman stepping aside on the assumption that a man can do better of the job are over. Deeply disappointed in you guys, and the answer is no. To which Dean then somehow walked back. Let's put the final element here. He says, I respect Mary Ann Williamson, a woman of courage, conviction, and strength. I hope she stays in the primary with me as we shine light on American suffering, propose solutions, and promote democracy while our party suppresses it. So not not exactly sure what happened there. My guess is that Andrew talked a little bit off script, and then everything had to be walked back. But in general, uh, as you said, Marianne squandered a moment a bit there by not kind of consolidating all of the progressive and young energy. Would have been interesting, too, because it would have been like an actual test of how strong any of that is even on the ballot Mm -hmm. in a Democratic primary. Now it's just dispersed, right in, ceasefire this, plus Dean, um, and all of that. And Biden, I mean, who knows? Like, he said, going in in a presumptive election where you're not even on the ballot to go right in Biden is a weird thing to do. Yeah. Um, I did send, Crystal, one of our viewers sent me a photo of the write-in flyers that have been going around. 
for Biden. They say, you have the power to stop Donald Trump's attack on our democracy. Vote Joe Biden for president. Mm. It says voting for Joe Biden is easy as one, two, three. Start at the bottom of the ballot with a pen, fill in the oval for writing, and write Joe Biden on the line. So mm. that's what they are sending to uh, people. Thank you, one of our viewers, by the way, who said that to me. Yeah, the yeah. last thing I'll say on all of this is um, this will be you know controversial. I actually think there was more of a chance to unseat Biden in the Democratic primary than there was with Trump in the mm. Republican primary. You mean because like way back early on. Yeah. yeah. If, if things had gone different, if there had been a unified campaign against Biden, you know, consistently challenging him, making people aware that there was another option, if there had been like a unified coalition, I genuinely think there was an opportunity here because you had all the polls. I mean, mm -hmm. Biden, the Biden team was clearly nervous about this, right? They saw the polls too that the Democratic base, a majority of them were like, we would like someone else. We would like to see another option here. We are not comfortable with this man as the nominee once again. We don't know that he can defeat Trump. We don't know that he can serve four more years in office. And, you know, we've always talked about this with regard to Trump and Biden. Biden's support isn't really support for Joe Biden. It's very soft. Anti-Trump, yeah. The most people feel about him is like, He's, he's fine. You know, that's like the, yes. the strength of the depth of the feeling about Joe Biden. Whereas with Donald Trump, I mean, look, we showed you before the pictures of the people out in the freaking zero degree, minus 20, whatever they love weather yeah. to come and see him at a rally. Literally no one. I don't even think Joe Biden's wife would do that for him at this point. Right. Uh. So it's much harder to move those people off of Donald Trump than it could have been in an alternate universe where there was a unified coalition and a concerted effort from the beginning. And then especially at the end here, you know, if you had made that noise and you had laid the groundwork and then, you know, with his unconditional support for Israel, which is not just unpopular, by the way, in the Democratic Party with young people, it is unpopular across the board. It's actually especially unpopular with young people, obviously Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, but with black Americans too. Some of the strongest numbers in favor of a ceasefire and oppositional to his unconditional support are among a key components of the Democratic base. So the opening and the possibilities were there. And, you know, you can say on the one hand, listen, the media just made it impossible. I do think that's a lot of it. There was just a concerted media effort to say there is no Democratic primary. There is nothing even to look at here. Yeah, Biden's weak and maybe it'd be great if there was a challenger, but there's no challenger, even as there are literally challengers in the race. But again, I think if you had a unified effort from the beginning, you could have potentially overcome that media blackout. And there was more of an opportunity on the Democratic side than there really was on the Republican side. This That's is where I think machine opinion. politics has come into play, where the machine was not as just, is actually stronger, I think, today than it was in the past. And you can look at the Carter-Kennedy election for an example where, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because Kennedy was literal of royalty in the party at that time and nobody could tell him not to, even though the majority didn't want him to run, at least in the Democratic Party establishment. But he had enough money and he was able to mount a serious campaign and went for a pretty long time. But the thing is, is that with Kennedy, Kennedy recognized Carter's unpopularity and lack of strength a year, you know, year and a half into the mm. actual race. And so that's why he mounted up from the beginning. He said, there's no way this guy's going to win in 1980. And he was correct yeah. about that. He mounted an electability case. He said, if we're actually going to be, you know, going forward, you got to look at the way this man has led the country. It's been a total disaster. He's going to get his ass kicked, you know, in the election. The problem was, is nobody had really the strength to say that from all the beginning, unless you were, you know, literally an in independent media or somewhere else right. on MSNBC, the organs and all of that, at least to their credit, the press at that time were forced to cover it. Yeah. And they were a little bit more neutral too. It was a whole era of like, 
pre-cable. And they were like, listen, you know, President Gardner is tremendously unpopular. Mr. Kennedy says that he can't win and he's going to run against him. Democratic voters ultimately did go with Carter after a pretty brutal campaign, but at least that argument was made. But that doesn't exist right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability to even do that doesn't exist. Here's the thing. I mean, um, one piece of this is that Democratic voters still really trust the mainstream press. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. so that gives them a lot of power. We saw this in 2020, yeah, right? True. When the mainstream press decided, all right, Joe Biden's the guy. We're all lighting up behind him. The dominoes fell like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, tremendous shift against Bernie Sanders, like over, literally overnight. And Joe Biden sweeps into the Democratic nomination, no problem. So that's one piece of the problem. The other thing is uh, the you know, the challenger to Joe Biden from the beginning was Marianne Williamson. And because she doesn't have that, like, you know, elected DC credential, they found it easy to ignore her. Mm -hmm. So I think personally, somebody like Gavin Newsom should be kicking himself right now. I think if you had someone who was like a governor, you know, like Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or whoever, who the media had built up as a quote unquote, you know, certified serious person and they had the right credentials and whatever, I think it would be have been very difficult for them to completely ignore what was going on there. And I personally think there was an opportunity for someone like that if they jumped in the race um, early on and were consistently making the case in a nice way, not a mean way against Joe Biden, but about like, listen, he's right that democracy is on the line. He's right that Trump is this existential threat. He's right that we have to do everything we can to win. Thank you for doing that for us in 2020. Now it's time to hand the ball off to the next generation who is more able to do that in 2024. I do think there was an opportunity for that, but they very effectively kept everybody within the elected Democratic establishment in line. They kept them in line. And that Joe Biden then, even though it was like a house of cards waiting to be knocked over by, you know, a, a stiff breeze, was able to remain assembled. And so now Democrats are like stuck with this dude hobbled with him going into a general election. And listen, he may still win. Trump is also a terrible candidate and people really hate him. He may still win. But they have made it so much less certain and are playing an incredibly weak hand with a man who, you know, consistently can't formulate a sentence. They can't be confident in putting him out even for like the friendliest of interviews. He's incapable of campaigning. If he does do debates, it's going to be a bloodbath against Donald Trump. This is the hand that Democrats have decided to play. Well, Crystal, look, if he does lose, at least you can say, I told you so. And I will say, a lot of people like Newsom and Whitmer and all them, they're going to have a lot less credibility if he does lose because people will be like, hey, man, where the hell were you? Mm -hmm. And in that chaos, yeah. you know, from the from the ashes rise yeah. of the phoenix. So you never know. Listen. I mean, I can be very hopeful. The more likely is that we're going to come up with like Russiagate 9.0 and that we'll have a whole <laughs> of, <laughs> entire different scenario where we you know some fake stop the steal on the Democratic side. That's actually yeah. the most likely scenario given what happened in the past. There's nothing I can cheer for at this point. It's just like, well, we'll see uh, what happens. I enjoy chaos, personally. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Okay, Crystal, what are you taking a look at? In a sign of the vapid, degraded, and pitiful nature of our public discourse, a facile speech seemingly written by a 15-year-old upon their first encounter with Ayn Rand has dazzled the world's billionaire class and quite a few way too online fanboys up to and including their leader, Elon Musk. New Argentine president Javier Malay took a break from banning protests, laying off thousands of workers, and spiking inflation over 200% to come preach the gospel of neoliberalism to the choir at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Now, of course, annually at Davos, the world elite gathers alongside their political pawns, their media enablers, and grifter wannabes to see what they can do to further extract global wealth, expand their monopolies, and solidify control over world affairs. These deals, which are the real action of the event, occur behind closed doors, while the public face of Davos is a fake do-gooderism where the very people creating many of the problems of the world, from war to hunger to climate catastrophe, wring their hands about these very issues. Apparently, however, even this pretense of benevolence has become too much for the world's billionaire class, judging by the rapturous reception of Javier Malay. World Economic Forum head Klaus Schwab gave Malay a fawning introduction, lauding the, quote, new spirit he had brought to Argentina. This new spirit, by the way, is just the same old neoliberal shock doctrine that the West has long imposed on developing nations. Malay's message to this group can be summed up in three words. Greed is good. To governments, get out of the way and let the world's oligarchs extract wealth to their heart's content. To the billionaires, who he described as heroes, keep doing what you're doing. You can see why they loved him so much. Who wouldn't want to hear their vice lauded as virtue? Therefore, in concluding, I would like to leave a message for all business people here and for those who are not here in person but are following from around the world. Do not be intimidated, intimidated either by the political class or by parasites who live off the state. Do not surrender to a political class that only wants to stay in power and retain its privileges. You are social benefactors. You're heroes. You're the creators of the most extraordinary period of prosperity we've ever seen. Let no one tell you that your ambition is immoral. If you make money, it's because you offer a better product at a better price, thereby contributing to general well-being. Do not surrender to the advance of the state. The state is not the solution. The state is the problem itself. You are the true protagonists of this story. And rest assured that as from today, Argentina is your 
your staunch, unconditional ally. Now, his message was both radical and completely supportive of the status quo, because the status quo ideology of the ruler class is, in fact, quite radical. As a politician, he's telling the powerful he will be their lackey. He will strip the power of the state, an imperfect but theoretically democratic institution wherein citizens at least have a shot at exerting influence, and hand it to multinational corporations headed by a short-sighted and self-interested billionaire class. I'm struck by the childlike fairy tale nature of the story he tells and what it says about our infantile rulers that they lap it up like hungry puppy dogs. Malay paints a picture of extraordinary men made wealthy by creating, innovating, designing products to benefit the whole world. When in reality, every year, if you take a look, the most new billionaires come from the finance sector. People who are only skilled at new creative methods of extraction and mathematical trickery, whose innovations are designing new exotic financial instruments like credit default swaps that eventually blow up the entire world economy. In Malay's billionaire bedtime story, there is no such thing as market failures. He says this explicitly. So any and all regulation is both unnecessary and wrong. He specifically argues that even one of the classic examples of market failures, the monopoly, is actually a good thing not to be messed with. Given the large number of monopolists in attendance, I'm sure this message was like chicken soup for their greedy souls. Anyone, of course, with a basic grasp of reality outside of an imagined libertarian fantasy world can see that this attack on literally all market regulation is insane. Unless, of course, you're a fan of Dickensian-style child labor, indentured servitude, and poisoned food and water. I'm not sure I've ever seen this particular fantasy deflated as quickly as in this infamous clip of Joe Rogan educating Dave Rubin on the need for building codes. Just take a listen. What problem would you, everything you're building here right now, right? Do you want the government to tell you how to do all these things and all the regulations that you got to have your electric thing this far from this and like all well, the, the regulations like that for construction are important though. You do have to make sure that people don't do stupid shit. But, make but sure generally, you don't have a power line near a water line. You, you, there's a lot of. But I would put most of that on the builders though. They want to build things that are good. Now I get it. Oh, get... that's not true. Listen, people. No, cut, no, people are going to build corners all the time. Like you have to have regulations when it comes to construction methods, they, or people are going to get fucked. They cut regulate. They cut corners when there are regulations anyway. They do. They would cut a lot more if there weren't regulations. I'm not totally you go to third world countries and look at construction methods. They're fucking dangerous. Yeah, that's why schools collapse on kids in foreign countries sometimes. Listen, man, I was in no. construction my whole life. My dad was an architect. Yeah. I've been in construction since I was a little kid. You fucking need regulations. These guys. A lot of people that are in construction, they'll do whatever the fuck they can to make money. And it's not good for the people that have the house because they might have that house for five, ten years before that problem manifests itself. The, the people who are establishing these codes are licensed builders or people that have been involved in construction for a long fucking time. And they know what's safe and what's not safe. That's why those codes exist. It exists to protect the consumers. Perfect example there. I could give you thousands of similar instances from the unregulated Titanic submersible to kids getting sucked into meat grinders to the Great Depression and the Great Recession to the old company towns where workers were paid in scrip and forced into permanent debt so they could never leave their brutal jobs until they died from black lung at age 40. And the big picture of no regulation just looks like an acceleration of the absolute worst of what we've got right now. Governments which are even more corrupt and undemocratic, wild inequality, where billionaires construct multi-million dollar bunkers to escape the apocalypse they are helping to usher in while the vast majority are locked out of the basics of food, shelter, and healthcare. And a deep moral rot that would place human worth 
creativity, and flourishing below the demands of the profit margin and the needs of Malay's billionaire heroes. Now, Malay is, after all, a man who would buy and sell human organs, so he is perfectly willing to literally put a price on humanity. In a particularly nonsensical part of his speech, Malay equates communist, Nazis, fascists, socialists, social democrats, national socialists, Christian democrats, Keynesians, neo-Keynesians, progressives, populists, nationalists, and globalists, saying, quote, in the end, there's no substantive difference. The preposterous nature of erasing the clear differences between a very wide range of ideologies goes without saying unless you are a literal child or a member of the oligarch class, which Malay services. But there's a reason why these elites are so excited to hear all of this and to see moderate reformists like progressives equated with radical evils like Nazism. And it's because they feel themselves under siege by some of these name-checked movements. After all, the greed is good radical libertarianism that Malay espouses and which had been ascendant in America since Goldwater and forced on much of the rest of the world since Reagan has been repeatedly rebuked by regular people all around the world. Look at the wellspring of radical, billionaire-friendly market radicalism, the Republican Party itself, and you can see how these ideas have been rejected. In practice, Trump has largely continued the Reagan-like policy of the past, with a few exceptions, but he became the lodestar of American politics by advocating for a clean break from that neoliberal market radical era. Young Americans who have been thoroughly failed by Malay-style market radicalism are even more clear in their rejection of this model. The speech also arrives at a moment when a decisive conflict is brewing between the needs of humanity and the needs of the market and owner class with the advent of super intelligent AI. It is clear that in this potentially existential battle, Malay's view is to hell with the humans. It is therefore a diseased mind which could with a straight face call any of this freedom as Malay does. Free to work all your days for global monopolists who set all the terms of your exploitation unless, God forbid, you are unable to work or a robot eliminates your usefulness and then you are free to quietly die. Don't be fooled into thinking this man is some sort of truth teller or challenge to power. The adoration of the Davos set tells you everything you need to know about who his ideology actually serves, whose freedom it actually preserves. And in that ideology, you are just a liability on a billionaire's balance sheet. And Sagar, uh, it was interesting. And if you want to hear my reaction to Crystal's monologue, become a premium subscriber today at breakingpoints.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. There's a lot of weird things that happened on January 6th. Likely federal agents, instigators in the crowd, protesters, the way said protesters have been prosecuted since the event, the way that the media has even treated it. But perhaps the weirdest of all is the plot line that has mostly disappeared from view and could actually shed light on some of the deeper questions of the day. What happened to the so-called pipe bomb investigation? The FBI, as part of their investigation, claimed that on January 5th, 2021, more than three years ago now, an unidentified hooded man planted pipe bombs at both the RNC and DNC headquarters on Capitol Hill, intending to cause damage as part of the protest. The pipe bomb was often discussed in the immediate aftermath of the attack, as it was a key piece of media evidence of the violent intent of many protesters going into the day rather than a spontaneous explosion of rage. Mysteriously, though, years later, as local DC media notes, that pipe bomber has never been caught. Despite many protesters being identified by tapping phone records, using facial recognition software, and every other spyware known to man, it simply disappeared as a talking point, and we're supposed to just forget about it somehow. But some interesting new evidence and analysis has actually come to light that questions a lot of this. Footage of the Capitol Hill area on the day of the alleged bomb was discovered shows that approximately at 1.05 p.m. in broad daylight, a man in a backpack approaches nearby police and Secret Service agents to tell them that he thinks that there is a bomb that is currently nearby a bench in the DNC. That man, it was later revealed, is a a plainclothes Capitol Police officer. The officers in the video, which was released in the Congressman Thomas Massey, do not immediately react when they're told this alarming information. Now keep this in mind, Vice President Kamala Harris is actually inside of the building at this time. They are supposed to be on high alert. And yet, as Darren Beatty at Revolver News notes, quote, Note how casual and unperturbed both the Metro officers and Secret Service officers are. Ask yourself whether this is how you would imagine the Secret Service would normally respond to the discovery of a bomb right outside of the building housing their protectee. Now, the bomb first appears on camera approximately five minutes after the police were tipped off. After that, police officers still allow actually a passing group of pedestrians, including kids, to walk by. A police officer then walks up to the bomb, he takes a photo of it, then before alerting others holds up his thumb, thumbs up. The video actually cuts off right around there. But the facts we can take away are this. The cops were tipped off to the presence of the bomb by an undercover cop in a hoodie. 
that did not appear at all alarmed by it, even though the vice president was inside the building. Three years later, nobody knows who this man was, and they also don't know who planted the bomb. The rest of the facts are pretty crazy. As Darren Beatty has written, the official narrative from the FBI is that the pipe bomb was actually placed on the bench outside of the DNC at 7.52 p.m. That was the night before by a man in a hoodie. It was not discovered until a full 17 hours later when the tip-off came. Add in this detail, the pipe bomb was one of two. It's a mere 15 minutes earlier at 12.40 p.m. A random pedestrian allegedly nearby found the first at a Capitol Hill Club in Washington, D.C., which is nearby to this location, meaning that the two bombs, which were allegedly placed there 17 hours earlier, according to the authorities, were somehow discovered within mere minutes of each other. Even stranger, according to the report, is that the two pipe bombs were equipped with one-hour mechanical timers. So while they included live explosive material, if they were planted 17 hours earlier, they were never actually seriously armed to explode because they literally couldn't. All of this, let's just say it's odd. It doesn't prove anything, but it gives us a few possible scenarios. Number one is that this is total and complete incompetence on the part of law enforcement. It is possible, unlikely though, in my opinion. Catching the so-called pipe bomber would have been a huge headline for the FBI, Joe Biden, and the media. They were able to catch MAGA grandmas and people wearing masks who walk through the Capitol, but they can't find someone who allegedly tried to bomb it? According to the FBI, the January 6th investigation is the largest in the history of the Bureau. This is one where lack of resources and attention after the fact is just not a viable explanation. The other that Revolver puts forward is that somehow this was somehow known to law enforcement, that perhaps the reason the police did not immediately act is because they knew it was BS, or that perhaps the Capitol Police officer who tipped off the cops is the one who, in the hood, planted it himself. One easy way is to just talk to that man. Three years later, we don't even know the idea or the name of that Capitol Police officer. It has never even been released, despite many questions from members of Congress. So that's where we just leave a few things. I mean, I wrote this monologue exactly three years after Joe Biden took the oath of office, when this was one of the biggest stories in the world. And yet, it's mostly disappeared. And to be clear, that doesn't mean nothing bad happened on January 6th, and the people involved are not responsible for their actions. But it does mean that within the cloud of all of this, as with many tumultuous events, there are major parts of the story that do not pass the smell test and ones that need to be investigated to this day. To date, nobody but Revolver, a few other independent journalists, have even touched the story. The reasons are obvious. If you dig deep, it's pretty clear where some of these things are going to land. Crystal, I mean, one of the things I even discovered- And if you want to hear my reaction to Sagar's monologue, become a premium subscriber today at breakingpoints.com. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. 
Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Thank you guys so much for watching. We really appreciate you. We'll have a great show for you tomorrow. So lots of New Hampshire coverage, and we'll see you then. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.